0: Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. high tech. Deanna has it. <laughs> She's in Arizona playing grandma. Hi, Deanna. Anyway, uh, very quickly before we continue with the service, remind you of our offerings uh, that we do uh, on the way out this morning. You'll see people, ushers at the, at the doors if you'd like to put in cash or check. You can do that uh, in the offering. You can use the envelopes on the seat backs in front of you. Uh, many people give online, uh, recurrent giving, which is very helpful to us. Others use their phones, uh, and they can give that way as well. And thank you for your continued support. Also, uh, to remind you that this during the season of Lent, today's the fourth Sunday of Lent, Easter is coming. You wouldn't tell that from the weather, <laughs> but apparently it's coming. Uh, uh, during the season of Lent, uh, we've been encouraging people to stop by the uh, table out there and check out... Uh, the possibility of sponsoring a child uh, through Compassion International. This provides uh, food, medicals, uh, schooling, learning about Jesus, all these different things. Uh, So if you haven't done that, it'd be a good thing to do during the season of Lent as we sacrifice and serve others. Amen. This morning, uh, in Luke, the fourth chapter, starting in verse 14, now Jesus has just gone into the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days, uh, which is the idea behind Lent of fasting for 40 days. Because we don't literally fast 100%. He did. Uh, but people give things up during this season of Lent. Um, and then uh, he comes and he does miracles in some places. And he comes back to uh, his uh, town. We're going to read it here in, uh, starting at the verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee In the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside, because he's doing very cool things. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So then he goes to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This is his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. So he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Well, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Very bold statement. Uh, without saying it to their blatantly to their faces, he's basically saying, this is a prophecy about the Messiah. He's basically saying, I'm him. Okay? And they're all just staring at him. Uh, verse 22 says, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Uh, the wording here is a little odd and not, not really quite nailing it. Uh, the truth is They were a little incensed. Uh, He's a nice guy, but who is he? And uh, they all said, isn't this Joseph's son? So they're kind of, you know, we know this guy. How's he pretending to be something that he's not? Which is what they were thinking. That's pretty arrogant. And when they say they know him, they know him. This is Nazareth. It's not a huge city. And Jesus was 30 years old by the time he went into his ministry. They've known him for decades. And all of a sudden, he makes this statement and they hear about him doing these miracles and stuff. And they're, you know, this Jesus. Well, we all know him. And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you heard you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. So he right away points them to the scriptures, which they knew very, very well, and talks about Elijah and this miracle with this widow, which we're going to read in just a second. And he's basically saying there are all kinds of widows in Israel, but he didn't go, doesn't go to any of them. He goes to this one off, disconnected lady, and then he says, "And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed." Only Naaman the Syrian, which is he's just, he's just the pagan guy. Well, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. This is really insulting to them. He's pointing. Jesus is pointing out that God has ignored many Israelites in the past for whatever reason, probably the hardness of their hearts, no doubt. But yet he still did things to people that they would have considered unworthy. You know, these sorts of things. And they would always razz Jesus all the time because he would spend time with people they thought didn't deserve it. You know, people who were drunkards or the prostitutes or the tax collectors, which doesn't sound like a real big deal to us, but you have to understand. For them to be tax collectors, they are under the thumb of Roman Roman occupation. So they consider those who collected taxes for the Romans to be collaborators with the enemy, very, very much despised. And so he was always uh, identifying with these kinds of people. It would tick them off. And then he points out, even in the Old Testament, Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet went to people who were undeserving from their standpoint. And he pointed it out to them, and it really ticked them off. They didn't go, oh, I see you're right. <laughs> and they got up. How ticked off are they? They drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the cliff on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now, I've had people ticked at me before. <laughs> I've never had a congregation drag me <laughs> to the edge of a cliff intent to kill me. This is how mad, you know, we're talking really, really mad. This is irritating. This is like... Furious, let's kill him! But then he walks right through the crowd and went on his way. Which you probably know, somebody grabbed him, somebody, but nobody could do anything because God was with him. So let's take a look at these two events that Jesus referenced uh, in one Kings the seventeenth chapter, starting verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab. Now Ahab Ahab was the king at the time. He was really a bad guy. His wife was more wicked than he was. Her name was Jezebel. This is a word of derision that is still used to this day. You want to talk badly about someone? She's she's just a Jezebel. (laughs) A lot of people don't even know what that means. Jezebel was nasty. Thousands of years later, people people still use her name to insult other women. (laughs) That's how bad Jezebel was. Ahab was married to her. These two were a mess. And Elijah, the prophet, says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. So he's basically telling the king, it's not going to rain anymore. We've had it. God's had it with you. No more rain. And of course, Ahab probably thought, ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But sure enough, this famine hits the land. Now then the Lord, word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in Kareth Ravine. Why hide? Because once it really started happening, Ahab wanted to kill Elijah. Elijah brings us on them, this horrible famine uh, and this drought, and he a better hide out there. He says, you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. It's, it's, it's the first Uber Eats. And uh, <laughs> so he, he doesn't do anything. Life is good, right? And he says, so he did what the Lord had told him. And he went to Careth ravine east of the Jordan, stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. Now I don't know where they're getting this stuff from. <laughs> I think roadkill, but I don't know. But uh, <laughs> he's eating. Life is good. And he drank from the brook. Well, sometime later the brook dried up. Why? Because there had been no rain in the land, according to Elisha's word. He says, No more rain. And, uh, and now the brook dries up. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and say there, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, when it says that he directed a widow, he didn't really talk to her. He just put everything in motion. Okay, and uh, so he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, sure enough, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? Nice lady. she goes, as she was going to get it, he called, and can you, can you give me a sandwich? And please uh, and bring me some bread. And the lady says, look, as, as sure as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we can eat it and die. Not a very positive outlook on life, but it was so bad. It was, it was the last that they had. This horrible uh, drought has come. This famine has been in the land. And she says, this is our last meal and we're going we're gonna to die now. And Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And he prophesies to this woman. He says, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends so rain on the land. And she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was no element of faith on her part. So as a result, there was food every day. The, the, flower jar never got empty. <laughs> Next day, there's more. I mean, how cool is this, right? They don't even have to go shopping. And, uh, uh, and the oil, always there, uh, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. All right, now let's take a look at this other event that Jesus referenced, and this. This is now in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. This is with Elisha. Elijah was first. Elijah eventually is taken into heaven uh, on a chariot. How cool is that, right? Again, with the Uber. So, uh, and that's that old new spiritual swing low, sweet chariot, coming forward to carry me home, right? That's off from this account of what happens to Elijah. Well, the next one is Elisha. Now, Naaman, this is the story about Naaman. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. These were not Jews. These were, at times, the enemies of the Jews. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. He's the Aaron Rodgers of the day. He's the (laughs) Mac Daddy, all right? He's the best of the best that they got. Uh, And uh, he was highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, which is a little odd. When you read the Old Testament and you see, See, says well, the Lord did this for them. You got to kind of look closely and, and see what's going on. Because they're, again, they don't have, they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have much of the Bible. They didn't have much of anything. Their view of God was very, very limited. They were very fatalistic. If I fly landed on your nose, they said, the Lord sent a fly. That kind of thing. Uh, and, and God was behind everything. Um, you remember, Phil was speaking a couple of weeks ago about uh, Jesus was talking Uh, to these people. They came, hey, this horrible thing happened to these guys. Why did that happen? And the big tower fell over and killed a whole bunch of guys. Was it because they were all sinners? And no, it wasn't. Obviously, whoever built the tower sucked (laughs) and it fell over. So not everything is God. They don't know this. Okay. So he says, they had a victory. He said, well, the Lord gave them the victory, but he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out, showing that they're enemies of Israel. They, uh, they gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. So there are this band of raiders going out and causing trouble, and they capture this girl and sell her off as a slave. And she served Naaman's wife. And one day she says to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So the young girl had known about the prophet Elisha and what he was capable of. So the Naaman hears about. It. She tells her husband. Naaman hears about. It. So Naaman goes to his king, his, to his master, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. And the king of Abraham says, Abraham says, by all means go. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, ten thousand shekels of gold. This guy's decked out, uh, and ten sets of clothing, which I'm pretty sure were very nice sets of clothing. Because uh, this is what you do. You go to another king. You, know, you come with gifts, you know, out of respect. So the letter he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Well, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he freaks out and he tears his robes. This is a very dramatic. We still see this today. A lot of times you'll see pictures of in the Middle East and people getting upset, and they throw dirt in the air, and they rip their clothes, and that's their culture. We just kind of freak out, but they tear stuff, all right? So he tears his robe, and he says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back life? Why did this fellow, the other king, send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See, he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. So this, you know, we, we are all aware of the recent events in uh, In Europe with Russia and stuff, and how Putin uh, came up with this thing of, you know, we're going to go in because of whatever. This has been going on for thousands of years. So he figures this king is saying, here, cure this guy, uh, and if he doesn't, then they're going to start a war. So that's what he's freaking out about. He's he's all upset. He rips his clothes. He's trying to pick a quarrel with me. He's just trying to find a reason to go to war because he doesn't know the context. He doesn't know that he's talking about. Elisha the prophet. So anyway, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, apparently that was rather dramatic everybody heard about, it, they're all talking. It gets to Elisha. And Elisha sends him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So, I'm sure the king's thinking, oh, okay, you deal with him. So, so he sends him to Elisha. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now you would think, again, he's a massively huge, influential, greatest warrior in this kingdom, and he comes to the house of Elisha, he would expect Elisha would come out and at least greet him, how you doing, it's so nice that you stopped by, Uh, but Elisha doesn't even bother to go to the door. Elisha sends his messenger. And uh, he says, Okay, so Elisha, he knows why you're here. He says, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry, he's furious. He said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, do something, cure me of this leprosy. Said he wants me to to. Dug myself in the Jordan River, which is not that impressive of a river. If you've ever been over uh, in Israel, I have. And it's, you know, Fox River is more impressive, I think. <laughs> Seriously, it's just not that, it's not that big a deal. Uh, and he says, are not Abana and far are the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I wash in them and be cleansed? And he took, turned and went off in a rage. He is furious. This guy didn't even come to the door to talk to me. Well, the Naaman servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, just go wash and be cleansed. So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He immediately got his healing. Now, Jesus was talking to the people of Nazareth. They were missing it. The Messiah himself, they're missing it. Uh, the widow uh, that Elijah goes to, there were all kinds of widows that were in need of them. They all missed it. Um, and all kinds of people in Israel, Jesus said, had leprosy. They all missed it. But except for these few who became aware of what was capable to be done because of the prophet that was in the area. Now, all that to tell you a, a little bit, a bit of a story. As, as you know, uh, Celebration Church over the last, how long have we been doing this now? 15, 16, 17 years. It's been a while. Uh, uh, God established, and we came here believing this was an open door that God had called us to come and be a part of, and, and we've loved it ever since, to be honest with you. But we walk into a very difficult financial situation uh, and it was up to debt, up to their eyeballs. And, and anyway, so we come in and start straightening things out and struggle for quite some time. In the last few years, there's been a dramatic turnaround. Thank God uh, for what has happened. It's been really rather stunning. Uh, Bishop Ed, my brother, has been helping us uh, come in and straighten things out and get our house in order. And it's running like a clock. We are in, at, in the middle of a pandemic. We are better off financially now than we were five years ago. It's, it's been stunning what has happened. I feel like I swallowed a fly. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, anyway, focus, work, focus, focus. So during this whole time, we still had this massive debt. and We finally got to finance, but it, it, a ridiculous amount of interest that we're paying Uh, And it's been quite awful. And people have asked us, you know, we'll have annual meetings with the church. And oftentimes we, (laughs) what the heck? My tongue. Anyway, uh, and people would say, you know, why don't we take care of this debt? Okay. (laughs) Uh, But we had tried several times and failed miserably. We would have big campaigns and stuff and raise almost nothing. It was discouraging, to say the least. And at some point, a little bit humiliating. So, you know, you kind of hit your head against the wall after a while, and you just stop and say, I don't know, it's just not working for me. I I can't quite get this. People would come up with suggestions. I remember one guy, sweet guy, Then I think he's fairly new to the church. He says, "I don't know how big a church he thought the Swiss." He says, "Man, just get everybody to give twenty dollars, and we can pay this off." I'm thinking, "Uh, no, (laughs) that ain't gonna do jack." You know what I'm saying? So everybody was real concerned. Anyway, it's just been this wall that will not move, and uh, but it is what it is. We aren't gonna give up. We just we just kept going on, and all of you are here. We're ministering to you. Uh, We've had this boot on our neck, but. It's a boot that God has helped us to deal with. Well, not much has happened. Then a, a few months ago, we got a check from someone who watches us online. They don't, they don't even come to our church. They don't live here. They don't live in Wisconsin. They don't even live in the state of Wisconsin. They're certainly not in Green Bay. And uh, they sent a letter with the check and said, listen, um, we know you guys have this uh, debt thing you're trying to fix. So, so they gave us $100,000. I said, yeah, that was nice. But we've been talking to banks for years, and the bank said, we would happily refinance you and bring you down to a lower interest rate because where it is just ridiculous. I don't want to tell you, it's humiliating how bad it is. Uh, and they were going to bring it down to a thing that would save us thousands of dollars every month, probably 15000 a month. That's how much interest we're burning. Uh, it's been quite horrible. Uh, and uh, shame on those banks. Anyway, so they basically said, all the banks we've talked to have been looking at our finances. Man, you guys are in great shape. It's amazing. They're shocked at how well. They say, what have you done different? Nothing. Really, how comes it's going so good? Well, I don't know, God, I guess, you know. And uh, they've been, say, okay. So they do all this anal- analysis. The problem is, you're upside down. You know what happens when you have a car loan you're upside down? Uh, you, a car's worth less than what you owe. You're upside down. Well, they said, you're upset. Okay, how much? $1.2 million. <coughs> that's a lot of money, okay? So that's what we've been looking at. We got to come up with $1.2 million. And I just, so that someone sends us a check for 100 grand. I was very excited, not because of what it would do for the debt, because that's just 100,000. We got to come up with 1.2 million. And I just thought, I was excited because that means that this online thing works. Right? We got some people who aren't even here, who are part of our church fellowship, who are part of this world that has been birthed from this pandemic that we were ready to go for, because we were already doing all this streaming and all the cameras and stuff that you see. We've been doing this for a decade, you know, a decade at least. Uh, so when the pandemic hit, next Sunday was like any other Sunday to us. Just, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and people have been connecting and and for someone to be that connected and that moved by the ministry that sends us $100,000, that's a lot of money, okay? So, well, they must have a lot of money. Even if you have a lot of money, $100,000 is a lot of money. I don't care who you are. You be Donald Trump? $100,000 is still $100,000. Oh, so, God, for someone to touch somebody, for God to touch somebody like, like that, it was amazing to me, and it just reinforced this connection that we have with these people all over the country, in the world, uh, and many churches, by the way, are experiencing this. I've been reading story, articles how the church now is—you know—we we still have our church here, but how many people are connecting uh, on, on, online? And, and we've certainly been experiencing this. But again, uh, in terms of the debt, I just went—you know—it's like kind of like throwing a stone in into the bay. That was the end of it, you know. Uh, well, about three weeks ago, someone put in an anonymous check for $500,000 and I went cool, but I mean, it's a weird thing because it's still, it's, it doesn't move anything. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. We're halfway there now. we got $600,000. And I say, well, pastor, God's just honoring your faith. No, I didn't have any. <laughs> I'll admit it. You know, the beauty of the church is that when you don't have strength, other people have strength. You know what I'm saying? We're there for each other. So somebody out there had faith. Wouldn't me. <laughs> because I, I just hit my head against the wall. I was completely discouraged. And, I, and now it's like close enough, but not close enough. And it's like, ugh. It's like you're on a diet and someone hands you an ice cream cone. Ugh. You know, what are you supposed to do? So, and I struggled. And, and uh, you know, you can ask Phil, uh, Becky, John, he's on our church board. They just about had to tackle me and hog tie me. And say, go out there and share this with people. And I think, I don't want to, I don't want everybody hates me. <laughs> You know, oh bother Eeyore, you know, just, uh, and just do it. Okay, so the first guy in church that I called, uh, we're pretty close to him and, and know him well, and uh, he's on vacation. And he said, What's up? I says, Well, this happened, and then someone gave five, he said, That's amazing, I'll give you 50 grand. Okay, thanks. I started calling some other and yeah, we'll give you 10 grand. We'll give you 25 grand. Just I'm not begging for money here. I'm just sharing the story. We met with a couple, I think it was two weeks ago, and I'm sharing with them the story. And and they look at each other and look to me. He said, Did you get our check? I said, What check? So we were before you said anything to us, we were already talking to each other about we should do something. And uh, we said, your check. You should have got it by now. Okay. So I call the church office. We get a check from these people? No. Okay, let's wait. You know. How long does it take mail to go around Green Bay? One day. I'll give it three. I don't know. <laughs> three days later, still nothing. So I don't know. What's that? I don't know about this check. So I go to my little personal thing there where they give you your mail. Someone had stuck it in my personal thing. I'm thinking, oh, that's cool. You know, I'm thinking, Christmas morning, you know, $5,000, $10,000. This has been fun so far. Open up $100,000. I was floored. Totally floored. And then another $50,000 from just like, this is getting very doable. (laughs) This has happened in a matter of weeks. We're almost there. Still not there, but real close. Yeah. So I'm talking with Bishop Ed. He says, you need to tell people. I said, really? Just tell them. Give them an opportunity to be a part of this miracle. So I don't know uh, what you're able to do. We still need some people who can write some pretty big checks. And I don't know who you are. Uh, Honestly, I honestly don't know how much people have. It's always a shock to me, you know? And I've always not wanted to know because I don't want to treat you better than her because you have money and she doesn't. You know what I'm saying? I just, but I've never done that anyway, so it's not really a temptation of mine. I just, I, just, I don't look every Monday morning to see how much everybody gave, <laughs> do I? I don't, I had asked Becky. He says, contact some of your top givers. I said, I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> so these are some of the people I was talking to. So some of you are are in that category that you could write a really big check. By all means, write the big check. Push us over the line. Uh, But even if you can do a little bit, I want to give everybody, and the bishop want to give everybody an opportunity to be a part of this miracle. All right? Uh, In Nazareth, Jesus was there. They missed it. Lots of widows in Israel at the time of Elijah. They missed it. Lots of lepers in the time of Elisha. They all missed it, you know, but probably they didn't even know. And we thought it was just, it's not fair not to let you know. So let me encourage you if you want to be part of this miracle, even a small part, uh, consider doing something and see if you can help us get over the edge. Now, little cautionary tale. Uh, People often say to me, you know, why don't we raise money for, you know, the earthquake victims or, uh, this bunch of people here are uh, already people. Why don't we raise money for the Ukrainian effort? Here's the problem we've had historically. And it's not a slam in anybody. It's just, you know, it is what people just don't think it through. If Because uh, a lot of people, let's say you come to church today and you're thinking, I'm going to give $50 today, or whatever, pick a number. And they hear about, we're doing something for the go, Well, let's put that 50 towards Ukraine. Well, you just took it from the church. You see what I'm saying? So we would raise sometimes $20,000 for some of these big events that happen around the world, but we'd be $20,000 short that week for so it hurts us. We don't go anywhere. Moving stuff doesn't help us. These people who are doing this know they're doing above and beyond. So whatever you normally do, please by all means do it. What I'm asking is a gift that's above and beyond. And you're not going to hear from me any more about this, except hopefully when I can announce our goal is by April 15th to have this all done and get the Shrifai kicked in. Uh, we're so close, but we need your help. So if you can do something above and beyond, by all means, do it. You say, so your whole sermon's about giving money? No. No, the sermon is about don't miss out on what God is doing because God's doing it. I, I'm having little, nothing to do with it. I've been more in the way then on the way. All right. But uh, at least I admit it. And uh, <laughs> let's see what God can do. I know we can do anything. What can we do as a congregation with faith and see what God does? Amen. All right. So we're going to turn to our time of communion this morning. We're going to reflect on what all of this is about. All this is about knowing Jesus. How do we do this? By faith. Jesus Christ died on that cross 2000 years ago. His body was broken so we could be healed. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus told us to do this when we would get together with the bread and the wine, focusing on his sacrifice for us. But the Bible says before you take it, we should all examine ourselves. So let's bow our heads and let me pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us who are here. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in thought, word, or deed by what we've done, by what we've left undone, something we should have done, we didn't. Uh, If we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we pray, have mercy on us and forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us. And by the power of your Holy spirit, keep us in eternal life. Now, heads are bowed and people are praying and reflecting, examining themselves. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really taken part of faith. You hear us singing. You see us doing what we're doing. People (laughs) sacrificing the kind of money they're sacrificing. Why would you do that? Why why do you guys do this? Because we've encountered Jesus. It's life-changing experience. If you've never experienced that, you can experience this right now. Just in your own words, ask Jesus Christ to come into your life ask him to forgive you of your sins. And you can take your first steps of faith this morning. Amen.